I'm Eric D'Souza, and welcome back to another podcast from Crime Writers of Canada, where we talk to our members about their books, their projects, and everything else that makes them tick. Joining me today is Natasha Blanford, who writes under the pen name N.L. Blanford. Uh, Natasha, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's, it's nice to finally meet you. I see you on the webinars and stuff, and it's nice to actually get to talk to you. Yeah, I, I get to say that a lot to our members because we have so many interesting members. Obviously, can't meet everybody right away at the same time, but it's always a pleasure talking to everyone. And I'm, I'm very happy also to finally be having somebody from the East Coast. Yes, I uh, I just moved from Alberta, but yes, I am an East Coaster now. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> um, I have sort of a cut and paste bio for everyone because uh, I found some information on LinkedIn that I've found interesting. So I'm adding the two together. So Natasha works for a fraud investigator at a financial institution. Natasha is passionate about creating awareness around social issues through fictional stories. Her cunning and fearless characters take readers on thrilling journeys rooted in truth. She resides, as we said, in Nova Scotia, where she's built a life of dream exploration with her husband, mild-mannered dog Watson, two cats, Loki and Lulu. I'm guessing, did you get to name all of them? It was a combination between me and my husband. We had to debate on the dog's name, but in the end... It's a crime writer's dog. <laughs> it is, and that's why he's like, hey, it's like Sherlock, and he, when he takes him for a walk, come along, Watson. <laughs> that is cute. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, let's start with your website. First thing you write on your homepage is, you found a home in N.L. Blanford, an author who doesn't fit the mold, or into a mold. Those are brave words to say. So how do you feel that you don't fit into a mold? Well, I would say, uh, I don't know if a lot of people have, for example, read like Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And they're like, I'm 10% in. You need to have this inciting incident or whatever. Yeah, I read the book and then I put it aside and I didn't go back to it. And I find that the way I write doesn't really fit into like the thriller noir or the thriller mold per se or even like the comedic thriller that i just uh wrote i just i just do it i just do my thing and i don't really pay attention to the the percentage or those molds that people say that readers want or writers should write in so i just do my thing <laughs> um even comparing like you just said your comedic thriller I don't think that's a typical thing. Uh, and I'm starting to read your book and I've seen both sides of it. And yeah, yep. <laughs> I was, I was interested. I was like, is she going to swear? I think it took three chapters. <laughs> right. I was like, wait, I'm sure I do. I do a lot in the first series for sure. But yeah. Yes. The first series definitely <laughs> deserves it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about your day job because there's no escaping it. Uh, this is also a comment from your website. It says, additionally, through my full-time job investigating fraud, I've learned much about the human behavior and what pushes a person to different lengths. I'm hoping you use a lot for that for building up your criminals. So is learning, seeing this aspect of humanity enriching your, your nighttime job? Yes, I would agree with that. And the fraud I investigate is actually the internal fraud. So the ones that employees commit in a bank. So that's even more interesting. And you're like, what would push an employee to actually do whatever they do? Um, 
I have one out right now that's actually in the public uh, domain where there was like a $10 million investment fraud at the bank I work at. And I did the whole investigation by myself and when interviewing the perpetrator, just like, you learn a lot about a person when you have those interviews about why they did it or what they did and stuff like that. So I definitely incorporate that into my writing. Uh, but you don't write about white collar fraud. <laughs> no, I kind of figured that might be a conflict of interest and my day job pays for my writing. So I think I'd like to keep that for a little while. Maybe that's a good decision. <laughs> maybe, maybe when I retire. Another thing I learned on your website is that you're the Canadian ambassador for the Alliance of Independent Authors, uh, where in your words, you say you advocate for the equitable treatment of independent authors. So as if you weren't busy enough, could you tell us about your new position? Right. So in July of this year, I became the Canadian ambassador, which so it's new to me and I'm still getting used to the role. But the purpose of my role and ally is to, like you said, advocate for self-published authors. So this could be reaching out to um, companies or organizations that do grants or awards for what would be considered traditionally published authors and kind of build the relationship to see how worthy self-published authors are. We're we're just as good as traditional in some instances. So you want to want to get the, um, I guess, the stigma of being of self-published authors erased and show just how validating self-published authors are as well. So the other thing is, Ally can or Ally can advocate for a self-published author. For example, on Amazon, they might shut down your account and they'd give you this computer-generated reason, and in some instances it's because there's a competing fraud account but they've shut yours down because they think yours is fraud so um ally can step in and there's resources there where they can represent you and help to rectify that issue a lot faster than trying to get through the weeds of amazon uh, but yeah so my goal hopefully as i progress through this role is to like do some presentations and get to know other self-published authors across the country and see how i can support them that's fantastic um natasha i'm as you probably know, I'm also the webinar coordinator for Crown Rising Canada. So you've inspired me as, as I talk to you. And uh, I'll have to run this by my boss, but I'd love to have you on for like a full hour and discuss um, your new job. Oh, I would, I would love it. I would love it. That'd be great. Uh, well, let's get to your writing. So the first series, uh, the Perilous Road series, you shine light on prevalent problems of human trafficking. You also explore themes of PTSD, grief, and societal expectations around women. Even from the book jacket of your new series, I could pretty much tell that the Hilford holiday cases and the title is going to be a little bit lighter. Are you still going to tackle dark themes or are you sort of taking a break from it? Oh, I like to go dark, <laughs> which is funny. A lot of people will look at my books, read my books, and be like you, I I know you. How did where did that come from? Out of your head? You're so sweet. <laughs> but yes, even in the Great Bloody North, the, my newest uh, Christmas thriller, the uh, I do a tackle some social issues. So, for example, what do I do? Environmental spills and the cover up, or complicated insurance. So. I actually took this from my husband's experience is he has some um, autoimmune diseases that requires a special treatment, but it's considered experimental. So his health insurance won't cover it, but they want him to use um, this other drug, try this drug first, but it would kill him. 
like so i kind of touch on things like that that just doesn't make sense in uh in going that route but uh yes and there's some what else did i do um oh the um there's minimal regulation around group homes and so there's very little oversight on what happens at group homes every death in this great bloody north has a social theme attached to it you just you'll find out when the when the killer confesses <laughs> <laughs> the rationale because the the cops are even dumbfounded as to why why these people yeah that's very interesting because i have to admit i'm in chapter four and uh it's almost cozy like it's as a cozy writer, I'm seeing many of the aspects of a cozy until you swore in chapter three. And I was like, well, okay, it's, it's going to turn darker, I'm assuming, because you're not supposed to swear in a cozy. I know. And that's why I don't fit a mold, because I just throw it in there. Um, well, I guess maybe this is also not fitting in a mold. One piece of advice that many Canadian authors often receive is not to set our stories in Canada. And if we do, and I'll admit, to myself that I probably do it too. It's not over Canadianized. Like if it's a small town crime, it could be any small town. Um, in your book, uh, that's definitely not the case. It's very Canadiana. Even the title itself, The Great Bloody North. Um, one of your characters, uh, the constable uh, Cameron, constantly, constantly saying A. And I, I thought it was cute. And then you even actually, uh, her partner, uh, McDonald, actually brings it up. It's like you're sounding very stereotypical there. Uh, I, I think he's wearing a Montreal Expo shirt, something that Montrealers um, cling to. Mine is too ratted to wear anymore. But again, very Canadian. So was it? I mean, obviously, it was a choice to be very Canadian. But why? Well, the ins. I don't want to give away what ties all of the murders together. But once you get to a certain, probably chapter six, you'll figure it out. <laughs> or like the sixth day of Christmas, you'll figure it out. But um, there's a particular, how do I want to say this? Canadian iconic duo <laughs> from the 80s that uh, inspired this book. So when my sister-in-law said, based on um, her reading my third book in my series, I have a little witty character in there. She's like, you should do comedy. I said, okay, why not? <laughs> And I was like, what could I write about? Okay, I'm going to do a Christmas book. Okay, what could I write about? And I was like, oh, what if these two gentlemen inspired my writing? And so it has to be Canadian, because if it's not, then I'm not doing a really good homage to our, our iconic Canadian comedians, which if you read the title of the book, <laughs> you, can get, you get the hint. <laughs> well, I, that I might think, be. Uh, I think I do know. <laughs> Especially because you tied it into a Christmas theme. <laughs> I know, right? So, yes. Uh, well, from what you've told me so far, you currently live in um, the Maritime, Nova Scotia. You just moved from Alberta, but I think all of your stories so far have been in Ontario. <laughs> so, why have you been setting your stories in Ontario? I actually grew up in Ontario. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so, yes, that's why the first series kind of originates because it's around human trafficking, Toronto would be a really big hub for that. Um, although it's everywhere across the country, even your next door, like it's in every neighborhood, but I kind of felt the breeders would more believe it. If I pick the center of the universe, people, the, the listeners can't see me doing quotes, but the center of the universe in Canada. <clears throat> and then for this one, because the inspirational characters are from Ontario, I figured I had to set it in Ontario. 
But one day, I will do a book out east here, set in Nova Scotia, probably. As you get your feet wetter. <laughs> exactly. As I but. understand their weird lingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the poor Nova Scotians had a hard last 12 months that uh, I'm sure it can inspire plenty of crime fiction. <laughs> Oh, yes. I'm actually going to a talk on uh, Saturday where they're going to talk about the murders in Lunenburg County. And I'm like, oh, this should be good. (laughs) (laughs) Only a crime writer would say that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm often tempted to ask somebody why they ended their series, but uh, I read why. It was obviously the third book in Perilous Road is going to be the last book in the series. Did you start from the beginning? Like thinking this is going to be a three book arc and I'll do something different. Nope. So (laughs) short answer. No, I during COVID Well, I started it before COVID, but because I don't have kids, what else was I going to do during COVID except to actually try to publish a book. So the first book was going to be the first book and I pretty much pantsed that. And then when I got to the end of the book and how it ended on a, cliffhanger (laughs) i was like oh i guess that's how it's ending and now i have to write another one and then i was like well you can't have a two book series so you have to have three books (laughs) and then i recently had the audio book of the first book created and i was always doing the editing and giving the amazing narrator feedback i was like man i'm not done with these characters so i'm actually writing a prequel about the villain and how he came to be the villain like what in his life made him so lovable yet hateable at the same time so i'm not quite done with that one yet oh that's interesting because your third book you jump 18 years to the future right so now you're gonna go a few years before yeah start when william's 14 and up to when he meets olivia the protagonist in book one i think but who knows who knows where the story will take me (laughs) From the sounds of it, uh, the deadly north, the bloody north. Sorry, the great bloody north is the beginning of a series. So, are you have you changed tactics? Are you now thinking series? Yes, this one. I don't know what other holidays I'll pick. It could be like National Donut Day because that would be funny for cops. But <laughs> we'll see. And yeah, I think we. I want people to get to know um, Detective Douglas more because this one focuses more on Roberta and her past. And so I want to explore what Doug, where Douglas came from and we'll see. My goal is with every book in this series to find wacky ways for people to be offed. So (laughs) (laughs) who knows how, what will come of it. Another thing that only Canadian crime writers say, or not Canadian, but crime writers in general, trying to find wacky ways to kill people. I mean, the first one is in a tree, right? So you, you start yes. with a bang. <laughs> I know, right? Well, that's fantastic. So it was a pleasure talking to you, Natasha. I'm going to let you go because I'm sure you have probably a dozen things to do. But it was a pleasure meeting you and chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this time. Mm-hmm.